Today's passage will be in Amos 7. Uh, we'll be finishing out Amos 7 through 9 will be the chapters. And so if you could turn there and follow along. Amos 7. This is what the Lord God showed me. Uh, behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said... O Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from the, fall, uh, from the flowing of the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with the measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Chapter 8. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my, uh, my, upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord. So many dead bodies. They are thrown everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trampled on the needy, and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over, that we, sh that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and sell the chaff of the wheat? The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of these deeds. Shall not the land of the, uh, tremble on this account, and everyone mourn who dwells in it, and all of it rise like the Nile, and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? 
And on that day, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. Behold, the days are, com- are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, As your gods live, O Dan, and, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. Chapter 9. I saw the Lord stand behind, uh, beside the altar, and he said, Strike the capitals until the thresholds shake, and shatter them on the heads of all the people. And those who are left of them will, I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away, not one of them shall escape. If they dig into Sheol, for there shall my hand shake, take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. And if they hide from my side at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword, and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts, and all who dwell in it mourn, and all of it rises like the Nile and sinks again like the Nile of Egypt, who builds up his upper chambers in the heavens and founds his vault upon the earth, who calls for waters of the sea and pours them out into the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel? declares the Lord. Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaphtor and the Assyrians from Kit? Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations, as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say, Disaster shall not overtake us or meet us. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen, and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that were called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seeds. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruins, uh, ruined cities and, the, and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and that they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord. Good morning, everybody. So today, we're going to wrap up the book of Amos. If you've been keeping track, this is the third book we've gone through in the Minor Prophets. That's three of of 12. So that means uh, we're almost 25% of the way through. Yeah. But really, Obadiah is next. It's only one chapter. And like, sounds really fast. So we're, we're almost a third of the way through the Minor Prophets. And I got to be honest, you know, the last few weeks while other people were studying the Minor Prophets, I, I, I did not miss spending a lot of time in the Minor Prophets. They're, they're 
Great books, uh, but kind of depressing. And, you know, like when we started this series, I said that like one of the, one of the main reasons why we're going through the Minor Prophets is that, you know, on, on all the statistical lists that, that research how people read their Bibles, that the Minor Prophets were one of the least read and the least understood sections of Scripture. And so hopefully, as we go through the Minor Prophets together, like we at least will do our part to see that change. But what I'm afraid is going to happen is that we'll get to the end of this and we'll understand them more, but like never want to read them. <laughs> So hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully they get, they get better. Um, today, as we, as we wrap up Amos, what we've seen in Amos so far is that the Israelites were expecting the day of the Lord to come. In fact, they, they wanted it. They were, they were like, you know, asking him to, to, to bring it on, to hasten the day of the Lord, because they thought that what that would mean is that God would come and he would pour out judgment on all of their enemies, not necessarily his enemies, but all of their enemies on all the nations around them. And what we've found out and what they've found out as we've gone through Amos's prophecy is that God is going to pour out judgment on his enemies. And because of their sin, because of their rebellion, because of their idolatry, Israel is part of that group now. And so they're going to experience God's justice too. And so the day of the Lord is going to come and it's going to bring judgment for the nations around them. And it's going to bring judgment for them too. And so in these last three chapters, what we get is we get a series of visions. Amos, Amos, God giving Amos a picture of what he's going to do to his people and, and for his people. And then at the very end, there's this kind of this promise of, of restoration that's going to come. And so we get the first vision in the first three verses. It says that Amos sees the Lord. He's, he's forming locusts. He's, he's creating locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And so the, the latter growth here is a reference to uh, kind of the harvest of a second planting. So probably something like a, a wheat harvest after a barley harvest. They, they plant an early crop and then they plant a late crop. And so uh, God is, is preparing locusts to come and kind of devour this second harvest. And what this would mean for them is that their food wouldn't last all the way through the winter. It wouldn't last until the next planting season if they get destroyed. And so what Amos does is Amos pleads to the Lord and, and asks him to, to show forgiveness, to show mercy, to, to not send this punishment upon his people. And the Lord relents. He doesn't pour out the judgment. And then we get to the second vision. The second vision, Amos sees the Lord. He's calling for a judgment by fire. It says that it devoured the deep and it was destroying the land. So again, Amos pleads to the Lord to show mercy, to not send this punishment on his people. And again, the Lord relents and doesn't extend judgment. And before we move on to the third one, like I think this is a good point for us to, to step back and realize what's taking place. What's taking place here is that, you know, the people, the people are in sin. They're, they're worshiping idols. They're rebelling against God. They're rejecting his rule over them. And so God is pouring out judgment on his people. He's, he's preparing to do that. And he gives Amos a vision of this happening. And Amos goes to the Lord and pleads with him not to do it. And the Lord doesn't. And that should be encouraging to us because what that means is that it means that the things that we plead to the Lord about actually have an effect. I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I can slip into falsely believing that because God is in control and because God has a plan that, that what I do or, or what I think or what I pray doesn't really matter. Right, God, God's just going to do whatever he wants anyway, so, so why take the time to, to ask him to, to do this or that? 
But what we see in Amos, like plain as day on these pages, in in these visions, in these interactions that Amos has with them, is that sometimes one of the things God uses to carry out his plan is the prayers of his people. He used Amos' pleading to show his people mercy. And so that shouldn't discourage me from praying. It should encourage me to pray, to seek his face, to ask him to, to work out his will in my life and in the lives of those around me. So be someone who's like Amos, and who pleads with God to, to show grace and mercy to his people. The third vision, uh, Amos sees the Lord, he's, he's building a wall, and he's got a plumb line. And like he says, you know, like the Lord asks him, what do you see? And he says, I see a plumb line. Uh, a plumb line, if you don't, if you don't know what it is, it's, it's essentially a weight on the end of a string that you use to see if a wall is, is plumb, to see whether it's, it's, it's level. Um, and so the Lord is saying that he's going to set a plumb line in the midst of his people to, to see you know, whether, whether they're on the level, to see if they're how they're supposed to be. Uh, and of course, they're, they're not, right? We've already seen this as we've gone through Amos. We've seen this as we've gone through the other minor prophets up to this point. So the Lord says that he's, he's never going to pass by them again. He's passed by them in, in the first two visions, but this time he's, he's not going to. This means that the judgment is going to fall. The, the high places of Isaac, they're going to be made desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel will be laid waste, and he's going to rise against the house of Jeroboam. That's, that's the king with the sword. So he's going to destroy the places of their false worship, and he's going to remove their rulers from their places of power. Amos doesn't plead with the Lord this time because the Lord has shown him that this is what is needed, uh, that judgment is going to happen. So Amos has these visions, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. And at this point, the Lord isn't going to relent. He's going to send this punishment against his people for their sin, for their rebellion. And then we get to this, this altercation between this guy named Amaziah and this guy, or in Amos, the, the prophet. Amaziah is the priest, so he's kind of like the, the religious elite, the guy who's in, in power. So he sends word to the king. He says Amos is conspiring against him, right? Because Amos has, has given out this prophecy that Jeroboam is going to be killed by the sword, that the people would go off into exile. And so Amaziah wants to stop this prophesy, prophecy from getting out. And so he tells Amos to go prophesy in Judah, right? He's like, get out of town, go somewhere else. We don't want to hear your message here. Take it somewhere south. And so he also, Amaziah, he calls Amos a, a seer, this is probably like a, a subtle dig at Amos. He's saying that he's, he's not a, a real prophet. He's not a legitimate prophet. He's just, he's just a seer. He's, he's someone lowly who, who doesn't have the right to say these kinds of things. And uh, honestly, Amos responds and says, you're right. right? He says, I'm not, I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. He's saying like he's not part of the religious establishment. He was just out there kind of doing his own thing. He was being a shepherd. He was a dresser of sycamore figs, whatever that means. He's out there. He's, he's dressing the sycamore figs. He's doing his, his life as a shepherd, as a farmer. Uh, and God calls him. God gives him this prophecy. And, and his only option is to deliver it, even though he's not part of the system. And now he's got a message just for Amaziah. Amaziah says, don't prophesy against Israel, don't preach against the house of Isaac, but the Lord says different. He says, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, your sons and daughters will fall by the sword, the land will be divided up with a measuring line, and he himself, Amaziah, will die in an unclean land. His point, 
and he's making it personal so that Amaziah understands it, is that things are going to get really bad in Israel. Everything that Amaziah thinks he has is going to be taken away from him. His, his children are going to die. Uh, he's going to be himself taken off into exile in a foreign land, and his wife is going to be left in an unbelievably horrific situation when he's gone. Just because Amaziah doesn't like the message, it doesn't mean that Amos isn't speaking the word of the Lord. We get the next vision in the first six verses of chapter 8. The Lord shows him this, this basket of summer fruit and says... The end has come. What this means is that if any of you go to Aldi or Walmart this week and bring produce into your home, that bad things are going to happen, especially if it's out of season. Now, what this means, like, it, at first, this makes absolutely no sense, right? He just shows him a bowl of fruit and says, like, it's, it's over. <laughs> but two things help make some sense out of this. The first is that the Hebrew word for summer fruit uh, sounds like the Hebrew word for like the end. And so there's, there's a, little bit of, a little bit of poetry going on. The second thing is that summer fruit signified the, the end of the harvest, kind of the end of the harvest season. And like either way, the, the point is that their end has arrived. At this point, like, it's, it's pretty much over for Israel. He says that the songs of the temple will be wailing. Uh, dead bodies are going to be thrown everywhere. It's going to be the wrong kind of silence in the midst of the people. And, and here the Lord is specifically calling out why he's pouring out this judgment on them. He addresses the oppressors of the poor and needy and those who, who valued money over worship. He says they trample on the needy. They, they bring the poor to an end. They, they long for all the festivals and the Sabbath to be over so they can go back to profiting off these people they're oppressing. They use their money to enslave them instead of to help them. And the result of this comes in the, in the rest of chapter 8. It says that the Lord will not forget their deeds. The land will tremble. The people will mourn. Uh, on the day of judgment, the earth will be darkened in broad daylight. Feasts will become mourning. Songs will become lamentation. Sackcloth will be on every waist. And baldness will be on every head. They will be in, in, a, in a time of great grief and suffering. He says it will be like the mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. And on top of that, he's going to send a famine on the land. But it's not going to be a famine for food. It's going to be a famine for, for the word of the Lord. He says people will wander everywhere seeking it, but they won't find it. And young men and young women will faint for thirst for the Lord. So at this point, right, Amaziah, this guy who's, who's supposed to be a religious leader in Israel, he's gotten a word from the Lord, and he tells Amos to, to go somewhere else with it. And the Lord is saying that eventually people are going to get to a place where they're going to want that back and they're not going to have it. Verse 14 says, Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. These are examples, like specific examples to, to false and pagan worship within Israel that the Lord is calling them out for. They're going to be held accountable for the ways in which they falsely worshipped him or worshipped false gods. And in the last chapter, we get the, the final vision. And it's got both good news and bad news. We get the bad news first. He sees the Lord standing beside the altar in the temple. He, said, he, he commands the capitals. These are probably kind of like the tops 
of the temple pillars. He commands them to be, to be shaken until the, or, or struck until the thresholds shake so that they're shattered on the heads of the people. So he's like tearing down their places of worship and, and punishing them through that. So that the ones that make it out of that event will be killed by the sword. None will be allowed to flee or escape. If they go down to Sheol, he'll find them. If they climb up to heaven, he'll bring them down. There won't be anywhere for them to hide. There won't be anywhere for them to escape to. He says that the Lord will fix his eyes upon them for evil and not for good. This is not a situation anyone wants to ever be in. And don't think of this here as the Lord doing kind of like moral evil to them. The point is that his judgment for them, it's, it's, it's going to lead to bad things for them, not good things for them. It's going to be bad. They, they don't want to be in this situation. They don't want to be in this place. They don't want to be someone who has the judgment of God poured out on them. And just in case, after all of this, people are prone to think they might escape, he reminds them of who he is in verses 5 through 10. He says, The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts, and all who dwell in it mourn, and all of it rises like the Nile and sinks again like the Nile of Egypt, who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and founds his vault upon the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaftor, and the Syrians from Kir? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground. Except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among the nations as one shakes with a sieve. But no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say, Disaster shall not overtake or meet us. Because even even as they hear, right, Amos saying, God's going to pour out judgment on you. There's going to be nowhere to escape. Right? There's people that would have been there that would have heard that. Right? We, if we were there, might have said, well, yeah, but it's, it's, it's not going to affect me. Like, I'll, I'll make it out. The normal people, they won't be able to escape. But he's saying, those who say it's not going to affect us, they'll die by the sword. The point is, there's not going to be any escape from this judgment. God is going to pour it out on the people who are in sin, who haven't repented, and they won't be able to get out from underneath it. But this isn't the end of the story. He's going to preserve some of his people, the the, the true remnant, through the midst of this judgment. And so the final vision, it also comes with a promise of of restoration, a promise of, of future redemption. He says this this terrible judgment is going to fall, but mercifully, God isn't done with his people. He, He still has a plan to redeem them, to bring them back. He says, in that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen. He's going to fix David's house. He's going to repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Eden and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. There's going to be this this huge prosperity. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. 
I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. He's saying one day he's going to bring his people back. He's going to bring them back into his presence. He's going to bring them back into relationship with him. He's going to restore what's been broken. He's going to set everything right. Things are going to be for them the way they were always supposed to be for them, and they're going to get to be with him in in a paradise. He's going to ultimately, once and for all, redeem his people. But for now, they face judgment. So I think this this book, right, in these last few chapters especially, they show us that that God's justice, his, his judgment is something to be feared. Right? It's not something that we want to experience. It's not something that these people in Amos' day want to experience. He's going to pour out judgment on his enemies. And that's not just Israel's enemies. It's all those who, who reject him and rebel against him, who, who choose a life of sin instead of a life of being in relationship with him. Specifically, that includes Israel because of how they oppress the poor and needy how they sought to, to profit after, off of worship rather than it being what they truly longed for. But like we saw in, in Hosea and Joel, we also see in Amos. Even though this, this horrible judgment is going to fall on his people, he's still not done with them. He's still going to bring them back. He still offers promise after promise after promise of redemption and restoration if his people repent. He's going to bring them back, back into his presence and back into relationship with them. He's going to restore them. And so for us, I think what the book of Amos should do for us is it should, number one, it should show us, it it gives us another reminder that our God is holy and just. Sin can't go unpunished. And that's why when when we sin against others, when others sin against us, it's not, not a big deal. It is a big deal. Right? We, are, we are sinning against another human being who's made in God's image and against a holy God. Sin is a big deal, and it needs to be repented of. God cares about justice. He cares about holiness. But even though we get that picture in these books, we also get a picture of a God who is merciful and gracious, right? who, who gives his people a way out, even in the midst of, of great judgment falling. Right, for us specifically, right, we get to see that he sent Jesus to end once and for all this, this ongoing cycle of sin and rebellion and judgment and restoration and more sin and rebellion and more judgment and restoration. He sent Jesus to make it right once and for all. He sent Jesus to make a way in which these promises of redemption can actually be true. And for us specifically, Because our redemption is primarily based on who Jesus is and what he's done for us and and not on us. We don't need to fear this kind of judgment falling on us. Because we know that it already fell on Jesus on the cross, on our behalf. And so I think, again, this should do two things for us. 
and really the, the minor prophets as a whole. Number one, it should remind us of the seriousness of our sin. That we need to take it seriously. We need to repent of it. We need to confess it. We need to ask him for forgiveness. We need to, to come to the Lord with our sin rather than just trying to dismiss it because it's not a big deal. And the second thing is it should remind us of the grace we have in Christ. And I think that it's specifically that second thing that, that makes the first thing possible. Right? We dismiss sin when, when we don't want to think about it. When we just want to make it go away and ignore it. But I think we do that because we forget the second thing. We forget that our God is gracious. Right? When we know and we remember who he is and what he's done for us in Christ, we don't need to hide our sin. We don't need to make excuses for it. Instead, we can come to the Lord even in the midst of our brokenness because we know what Christ has done for us. We know that even though we're broken, we're whole in him. So I hope that Amos has done that for you. As we continue in worship today, I hope that you continue to think about those two things, that reminder of the fact that our God is holy and just and also that he's endlessly merciful and gracious to us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus so that you could be both just and a justifier. So that you could, could take our sin seriously and also provide us with a way out of it. That we could look to Jesus as our Savior, as our, as our Redeemer. And that because of who he is and what he's done for us, we can be brought back into relationship with you. We can have our sins forgiven. We can look forward to, to full and total redemption and restoration of all the brokenness in us and in this world. We pray that as we continue in worship this morning, you would send your spirit to, to show us and, and convict us of the ways in which we take sin lightly. The ways in which we try to ignore it because we forget about the grace we have in you. And that you wouldn't allow us to, to, to wriggle out from underneath the reality of your holiness and justice. But also that you would remind us of your grace and mercy and the love with which you love us in Jesus. And that that would, would unstick us and draw us closer to you. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, that you, for the joy set before you, went to the cross. You purchased our pardon. You rose again, inviting us into a new kind of life with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.